This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Great to be together. Kind of kicking off, I suppose, a... uh holiday time, aren't we? Thank you for all of you guys who brought and contributed to the Christmas child thing back there. It looks like they've all been carried out, but there was just a pile, a pile of gifts for uh, many who may not get any, some of them orphans perhaps. So thank you for uh, doing that uh, this year. Well, we're sort of coming to a, uh, an end to a series on community. We've been talking about community for 10 weeks and we're not really coming to a total end. I'm going to reference some community in the in the in the coming weeks between now and the end of the year but i'm going to make a bit of a shift that i think you'll feel pretty quickly here in in an emphasis in community today uh here's what we've talked about in case you're here for the first time you're not going to miss anything because i'm going to tell you in about 60 to 90 seconds what we've covered in nine weeks uh it's been that substantive that i could just tell it all in a minute but uh we talked about the fact that the holy spirit is the one that births community so in acts 2 the holy spirit comes and starts the church people become christians followers of jesus christ and instantly they're thrust into community that the same day the Holy Spirit uh, is poured out and people become Christians is the same day the church is birthed and they're in community together. And we see, we looked at a number of different scripture passages. We saw that the goal, uh, one of the goals of community is to, to communicate love to one another. That the, that the church and particularly smaller groups relationally within the church are a place where love is to show up. That, that God is building a people for himself that love one another. We saw that we are to take a spiritual interest or an interest rather in the spiritual well-being of others. So one of the reasons for community, we did a whole message talking about this. One of the reasons for community is so that I can take an interest in how you are doing in your relationship with Christ and you can do the same for me. So community is a place where we take an interest in others. Community is a place where we express our gifts. So God gives gifts to people, uh, supernatural abilities um, by his Holy Spirit. And the community is the place we use those gifts to encourage others and serve and help others. And it's the place they do that for us. So it's a place where our gifts are used. Uh, the, The community is a place where God creates unity. We did a whole message talking about the fact that Jesus is building a people together that are unified. By his death, uh, he unifies his people together. Also, not only does God create unity, but what he creates, we are to maintain uh, by his grace. So we looked at a passage that talked about the fact that we're to maintain the unity of the spirit by living humbly together, by relating gently together, by being patient with one another and bearing burdens of others. This maintains the unity that he creates. So he saves us, puts us into community, builds a unity, and then we maintain that through that kind of uh, changed heart and life. From Ephesians 4, we looked at that. Last week, we looked at the fact that the the purpose of community is that we may all grow up together. So Christians join together in community, and in particular in smaller groups of community where we can know each other and we help one another grow up together. So a goal of maturity uh, of community is that we mature together. The community helps us mature. The community ensures that there's people with whom we must be patient. 
and people that must be patient with us. So the community provides a context for this type of growth. Based on all that I've just said in this series, uh, we are, we've made a decision. We've talked to the, to the care group leaders, and uh, we made a decision. Uh, this is a small thing, but not really, to change the name of our groups. We call them care groups currently. We've always called them that. But we're going to shift and begin really from this point in the sermon forward. We'll see how I do. I did okay in the first service. We'll see how I do. Uh, From this point forward, calling them community groups. Because we think that captures everything I just said we want to see happen in our small groups. Care is a subset of community. Community is not a subset of care, I wouldn't say. So community is a little bit broader name to define what we're doing. So it's not that we don't care anymore. We didn't shift the name from care group to we don't care group. So we, <laughs> we still care. So all of you around here, we still care about you. We hope you care about us. We still want to have care, but we want to express our care in the community group uh, rather than expressing our community in the care group. Did you follow that? So community group, it has a broader implication of all the things I've just communicated about how we can do life together. Now, I would say we don't believe in the church that the only place to find community is in a community group. Obviously, there's other places. I trust that as people are serving in children's ministry together right now, serving alongside each other, teaching children, that there's a form of community happening there. Uh, When you come to the G2 meeting, there's community. When you come to the REACH meeting, there's community. So it's not the exclusive place, but it is a primary place and kind of a starting place that we seek to experience community together. So there you go, big announcement. It's already on the website. It's not like software that leaked. If you go to our website last week, it already said community groups. But, uh, so, but if you didn't go, now you know. So there it is. Try to join us in saying community and not care. I know it'll take us a while probably to make the shift. Today, we want to look in John 17. And we want to look at this extended prayer of Jesus Christ uh, that he prays. This is, if you have a red letter Bible, this is all in red letter, meaning that this is Jesus praying. And in this prayer, the first five verses, he prays for himself to the Father. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples, uh, the, the original apostles. And then in verses 20 through 26, that's the section I want to look at as of Jesus' prayer. So join me, if you would, in verse 20. John 17, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved even as you loved me father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world o righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these know that you have sent me I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and our prayer today 
is that you would take these God-breathed words in this passage and you would make them real to us, that you would reveal yourself to us through this scripture. And I pray that you would give me the grace to communicate what is true about this scripture and only what is true about this scripture. And I pray that you would help us all to be hearers of your word and doers. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to open our ears up to your scripture, that we'd all be good hearers of what you have to say and faithful doers. And I pray for myself that you would empower me to teach your word clearly so that the church could be built up here today. And anyone who doesn't know you could hear about you and respond to you today, God. So we thank you for this time. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I I want to look at a few things about this prayer. I want to look at who is Jesus praying for, what is he praying for, and why is he praying this. But I want to start with the context of this prayer. The context is critical here. This is the end of Jesus' life. In my Bible, I have to turn the page to get the next chapter. But if you go to the next chapter, it's his betrayal by Judas, and it's his arrest, and then his crucifixion. His arrest, trial, and then crucifixion. So what we just read are the final words of Jesus Christ praying to his Father. The final recorded words of prayer. Now, he communicates some things in the trial and on the cross. But these are the final words of prayer that Jesus prays. He's at his hour of greatest trial. He is about to be crucified for our sins. And so what is so powerful about this is at the end of Jesus' life, we are hearing his heart. We're hearing his concern. We're hearing his burden as he talks to his father, as he pours out his heart to his father. Listen, what you pray about reveals what's important to you and me too. What we pray about reveals what really matters to us. And what we pray about at our time of greatest need brings a pinpoint clarity to what really matters I haven't approached death before, but if you are nearing death and know you were about to die, I would assume that your prayer life would reveal what matters most. And here is Jesus. He knows what's going to happen. He is about to die an excruciating death. He's on the eve of his death, and he is about to pay the penalty for our sins. And he is praying this prayer at, at this hour that reveals what matters to him. He's God. What matters to God? And, and at this hour of his prayer, we see, first of all, who is he praying for? He's praying for us. I look at the words of verse 20. I do not ask for these only. He's speaking about his disciples that are right there. He's already prayed for them. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So I'm praying for those who will believe in me because these right here share that word. That's us. Here's their word right here. I'm praying that everyone who will believe because of their word. Here's their word. The apostles Uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by God, wrote these words so that we would know him. So who he's talking about is us. Jesus is on the verge of indescribable suffering, and he's looking ahead, and he sees the church. He sees believers, and he prays for believers. He prays 
for us. So I want you to read this passage. This is kind of unusual. That we're hearing God the Son pray to God the Father for us. I mean, that context means something. These aren't just sort of words that are nice thoughts. These are the very inspired word of God from the heart of Jesus to the Father for us on the eve of his death. And what does he pray? Verse 21. That they, that's us, that they may all be one. He prays for unity. He prays that the church would be unified, that we would be one. We've spent several weeks talking about the importance of unity within the Christian community, unity within the church. This passage right here is like a, a, an exclamation point to all that we've seen elsewhere in Scripture about this subject. This matters to Jesus. The fact that Jesus is praying, these are his final words of prayer recorded in John, means that the idea of us being one together, the idea of our unity, is not just a nice thought. This elevates it to central priority. This is priority notice that unity in the church matters to Jesus. And he's about to give his life so that we will not only be reconciled to him, but reconciled to one another as well. This is not just a topic of concern for those who are like really committed down at the church. This is a topic of concern for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. If I'm a believer, then my unity with God's people matters. It matters to Jesus, and so it matters to me. Now, what kind of unity does he envision? Well, he speaks about our experiencing the same type of unity that he has with the Father. The, the next few minutes, what I say, is going to feel sort of theologically like we're in the deep end of the pool for sure, because there is something mysterious about this. So I can't explain to everyone's satisfaction what I'm about to say. I just want to, here's a frustration alert. I'm not going to be answer every question that we have about this. But in a few minutes, I'd like to say what, what I think he's communicating here, that he's talking about a unity that is the same type of unity that he and the Father experience together. Look at... Uh, Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Okay, so Jesus says, I am in you, Father, you are in me. So he's saying we're united. And these people he's praying for, the church, us, we're united with God. He's saying that the believer is united in Christ. This is language that Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament, Paul uses this language all over the place. He says we are in Christ. What does that mean? It means we're united with Christ through faith. Jesus died for us, was raised for us for, to forgive our sins, and once we turn and believe in him, we're connected to him. We're united with him. We're in him. He says the same thing if you turn, if you have your Bible, just turn back a couple chapters to chapter 15. Of John. Look what he says in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So here's a vine, it's got branches coming off. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. He says that as Christians, there is this life giving union we have with Jesus Christ, that we are in him, 
And he's about to say that, that he's in us. And we are united, and that's where we receive our spiritual life. Is, it is fruitfulness. Our Christian life is based on us being joined to Jesus Christ. We are in him. Look at what he says in verse 23. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So here he says, I'm in them. So there's these two truths. We are in Christ. We're connected to Christ. We have this vital union with Christ, and Christ is in us. And so because Christ is in us, his Holy Spirit lives in us. Now that's a mystery, but his Holy Spirit lives in us, changing us. Because we all have the Spirit living in us, we're unified. So God and the Father are one. We are connected to God in union with him, and we're in union with one another because the Holy Spirit lives within us and joins us together. There's different ways we could look at this. The Bible talks about us being one body. We're all different parts. If you imagine a physical body, we're all connected. Jesus is the head, and we're all parts of the body connected. So that's a way to look at it. Another way to look at it would say we're family. You and I are joined together because we have a common father. He adopted us brought us into his family. Now you and I are brothers and sisters. So we're connected as family because we're connected to him as our father. There's a lot of ways to look at this in the Bible. But the overall truth is that we are in Christ. Christ is in us. So we're connected together. Now, because of this and because of all his language here about you're in me, Father, I'm in you, they're in us. Because of all this language, we need to focus on Christ. We don't turn and become unity-focused We focus on Christ, and as we're focused on Christ, and as we're growing in Jesus Christ, we grow together. So when you and I talk, communicate, share, serve together around the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done, we're focusing on him, we grow up in him, and we grow together in unity. So we don't want to be unity-focused, we want to be Christ-focused. Here's a helpful illustration to talk about that point. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork. He's talking about a tuning fork. If you've ever seen that, where you can tune an instrument to a a fork that carries a a pitch. So he's saying uh, 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They're automatically tuned to each other. They are not of one accord by being tuned to each other, but to another standard with which one must individually bow. So each piano is tuned to the standard, thus they're all tuned together. One hundred, So 100 worshipers together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So he's saying the goal is it's like if you tune every piano, 100 of them to the fork, they're all tuned to each other. If we all are talking about Christ, living for Christ, sharing what Jesus is doing in our lives, if we're focused on him and not just unity, then we'll be closer together than we ever would if we just focused on unity. So what's he praying for? That we may be one in him and conscious of that. He's praying for us. He's praying that we may be one. And then here's really the point of this passage. Why is he praying this? Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So, that means purpose clause. Here's the purpose. So that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. He desires that the church be unified so that the world will know God the Father sent God the Son. Look at verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you. See, this is a closing concern for Jesus. The world does not know Jesus Christ, he's saying. But so that the world would know Jesus Christ, he wants his church to be unified, to be one, so that they will understand that, what does he say? That you have sent me. His primary concern here is that the world will believe that Jesus is sent from God. Throughout the Gospel of John, and we're going to go through the whole Gospel of John next year. Very excited about this. We're going to start at the first of the year. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus is very commonly called the sent one. And it means that he's sent from the Father to give his life to rescue us. He's defining himself as one sent by God on a mission to rescue sinners. So what he's saying here is if they are one, people will know that I am who I've said I am. If they are one, people will know I'm sent by the Father to rescue sinners. That I am God in the flesh, come to save people. That's what he's saying. That his concern is that people know him. See, our unity, and let's talk about us as a church here for a minute. Our unity is an apologetic to the world of Jesus. That means it is an explanation. It is to be an explanation of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Our union with Christ and thus our union with one another, that's made possible by the gospel. So we're one with Christ and we're one with one another. Why are we one with one another? We may be different. We may have different likes, different interests, interests, different preferences. We may be from different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds. We might never get together on normal terms. If we just picked what team do I want to be on and who do I naturally associate with, there might be very few people in the room that would be that for you. Or when you're in your community group, got it? Okay, when you're in your community group with different people, you might never have shown up in a living room with that group of people normally in the course of life. But you've shown up with them, why? Why? And why are you unified? And why do you love them? And why in the world are you giving your Wednesday night to be with these people? I'm mean, sure they're fine people, but you know what I'm saying. Here's the reason. Because I was a sinner opposed to God and Jesus Christ gave his life for me and I believe that he's the substitute. He paid for my sins and so I have new life. I've been reconciled to God. I was opposed to the Father. Now I'm reconciled to him and he's reconciled me with his people. And now we're together a family. We're together a family with a mission. A family with a mission to declare that Jesus Christ saved us and brought us together and he's just who he said he was. And the proof is that we're one, that we're in relationship, that we're joined together, that we are doing life together. Different folks doing that because of the work of Jesus Christ. So why is unity so important? Talked about it, I don't know, four weeks or something like that we did here. Why is this so important? Here's why it's so important. Verse 26, the world does not know you, Father. That's what Jesus says. Why is this so important? Because it is tied to our gospel witness. It is tied to our message that Jesus Christ is the Savior. It is tied to our announcing to people that don't know Jesus that he is real 
and the gospel is true, and he changes lives. Why is it so important? Because what could be more urgent than people who don't know Jesus Christ coming to know Jesus Christ? And that's why at the end of his life, in his concluding prayer, he prays for us. He prays that we will be one so that people that don't know Jesus will know Jesus. His concluding prayer is for those who are far off from God under God's judgment. This is the heartbeat of the Savior. This is the concern of the Savior. And this is what he prays about on the night before he dies. That we would be one. Why? So that they may know. So that they may know. No. It's tied to our witness, and thus it is of utmost importance. Now look at verse 23. I and them, and you and me, that they may become one, that's us, so that the world may know that you sent me, we've talked about that, and love them even as you loved me. Now he says there in that verse that they may become perfectly one. Let me explain that a little bit, because what he's not saying is that we might be flawless. That'll never happen before Jesus comes back. Jesus will return. We will, be, uh, we will see him as he is. We will be like him, the scripture says. Um, but I, I love the way the NIV translates this, because the NIV says that they may be brought to complete unity to let the world know. I, I, that's, a, that's a very helpful translation because when it says perfect, it doesn't mean perfect like flawless, immaculate, that kind of perfect. It means complete. And so the NIV says that, that the church, here's his prayer, that the church may be brought to a complete unity so that the world may know. There's a progressive nature here. It's, there's movement here. There's growth. We are to become more unified. We are to be a community that is progressively becoming unified. Now, unity and unity in the church can happen a couple of different ways. We are at union. We're, I mean, we're, we're in unity with anyone who's ever believed in Jesus Christ. I mean, in some way, we believe the same message, and uh, we have union with the saints who've gone before, those who are with the Lord. We, we have a unity with people who live in other countries that we will never meet today. Matter of fact, you've ever had that experience where you're traveling and you meet someone maybe from a very different culture than your own, might be in another country, maybe very different. You find out you're Christians, find out they're a Christian, you're a Christian. Well, hopefully you didn't find out. You already knew you were, but you found out they were a Christian. Oh, it just dawned on me. Uh, but no, you found out you're both Christians and there's this instant rapport. You just feel, hey, we're connected. We have nothing in common. We can hardly even speak. Because our languages are different. But we have this unity. So that, that's a special thing. I think that's a very meaningful thing. But I think for me to have union, to, unity with someone in another country, another culture that I'll never be with a, again apart from that moment, and then I'll see him in heaven, that doesn't really communicate to the world what's in, in view here. If the world is going to, verse 23, know that Jesus is sent, if the world is, verse 21, going to believe in Jesus, if they're going to know and believe, then they must see that union, that unity displayed. They must be able to touch it. 
get a taste of it, metaphorically speaking. They must be able to see and observe that people are together, that there is a union here that piques their interest and that is only explained by the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. The only way that these people could be together like this is because Jesus Christ brought them together. And it must, it must be the kind of union and an interaction that would inspire curiosity, would inspire questions, that, that sort of a thing. And so Jesus puts this in such a priority that we would have a unity. And we're going to look at a minute. It's really a loving unity. That our loving unity is mission critical for gospel advancement. I think that's the point of what's going on here. Our loving unity is not mission optional. It is mission critical for gospel advancement. And by that jargon, I mean for the gospel to move forward in reaching other people so that other people meet Jesus, a critical aspect of that mission is that we be in unity. Christians be in unity. But I don't want to just speak. I'm not speaking to the body of Christ here over all times and all nations. I'm speaking to you guys and me. I'm speaking to us that we be in unity. It's mission critical for gospel advancement. Okay, how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, first of all, and this is in the text, I believe, that love for one another is key to unity, and it's key to our witness. Love for one another is key to our unity, and it's key to our witness. Look down at verse 26. I have, Jesus says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. The name of God is, re- reflects his character and his person. I've made them to know your name, your character. I'm going to continue to make it known to them that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Some translations say among them. That God would continue to reveal himself to us through, them, through the scripture, that his love would be in us, and that his love would actually be among us. It is unity that is characterized by love for one another. And that love is a witness. He says this a few chapters earlier. If you have a Bible, go back to chapter 13. This is where he talks as well, not only the verse we just looked at, but he talks about our love for one another being a a witness. So love is a key to our unity because the previous passages that we're looking at today is about unity and love is mentioned there. Um, And then in, in chapter 13, look at verse 34. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this is fascinating because wouldn't you expect Jesus to say people will know you're a follower of me if you love them? We could find some verses that would say that, by the way. That's a biblical idea. But that's not what he says. People will know you're a Christian if you love each other. That's what he says. They'll know you're my disciples. They'll know you follow me because of the way you treat each other, because of the way you relate, because of the way you value, because of the fellowship you share in common, because of the life that is in your midst when you are together, because of the unity that you're willing to do whatever it takes to be reconciled where there are differences, because unity matters. Because of this, people will know that you are my disciples. See, our gospel mission has a message, the gospel. 
that Jesus died for sinners, was buried, was raised, and if we turn from our sin and believe in him we, and follow him, we are new people. We, ex- we receive forgiveness of our sins. So that's the gospel message in response to the gospel. But the go- our mission not only has a message, which is obviously primary, but our, our mission also has an example or a testimony. See, Jesus doesn't want us to just have a message that is a false advertisement where we say these things, but there's no example. There's no life change. There's no credible uh, testimony on display. He says, rather, if you love one another, that's a sign that I'm in you, that you that you've been changed, that the gospel has been brought to bear in your heart. If you're unified together, that's a sign that, you know, Jesus, that he's he's brought you together. He's reconciled you one to another there. Our gospel mission has a message and it has a testimony as well. Jesus says that people are able to see and detect that something is different. When people come in contact with Christians who are in community together, they should detect something different. And many of them will hate that because it reveals Christ to them. But others, those the Lord's drawing, will be drawn into that. Because it's a, it's a credible demonstration of what Jesus has done. So, what are we thinking about when we're gathering this week, or maybe not this week with the holiday, but you know what I mean, when we are gathering in a community group in a living room? What are we thinking about that? So you're sitting in your community group in a living room, and some couple humbles themselves and reveals they have a marriage problem, which should be no shocker because anyone who's married has problems, and many who are married have had severe problems at some point but this couple is honest and they reveal that they have a marriage challenge and then the group sort of just circles around them with love the group leans forward and listens the group cares the group shows an interest the group asks some questions to draw them out some members of the group share some scripture that would be helpful to them and encourage them the group prays for them in their situation what's happening there Is that sanctification or is that mission? Is that the church just building itself up or is that mission? See, that's a false dichotomy. And here's why that's a false dichotomy. There's two reasons in the example I just used. The first example is these people, if they apply what they hear and God meets them and such, they will have a better marriage, a more godly marriage for having done walk through this kind of a process. And what is marriage to display? Marriage is to display the gospel. The reason for marriage is in the Christian is to demonstrate that a husband loves his wife, Ephesians 5, as Christ loves the church and that the wife respects her husband as well. And so that an onlooker should be able to look at a Christian marriage in an ideally an onlooker should, an unbeliever should be able to look at a christian marriage and see something of the gospel in that to see something different that piques their curiosity that draws them in that that begs for an explanation of how can that be it's because of the work of the gospel so that couple is prepared and strengthened to be a gospel witness secondly as the group is unified in this particular service care fellowship as the group is built together in love in this situation there they are uh, being fitted and they are improving and growing 
in their announcement that Christ has been sent by the Father. Where do you get that? I get it from John 17, that as we are unified, I get it from John 13, as you love one another, the world will know. As you're unified, the world will know. What? They'll know Jesus. That the goal of this is to grow together and to reflect Jesus. The goal of this is so that the people in that group and that married couple, that their living example, imperfect to be sure, but that their living example is increasingly more like Christ so that the group testimony and the marriage testimony doesn't discredit the gospel, but affirms the gospel. So it's not sanctification or mission. It's both and. It's not just go and tell as the commission. It's teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Why? You go and tell. Someone becomes a Christian, they're brought into the church, they grow up together, they're, they're, they're taught, we're going to look at this very soon, Matthew 28, they're taught to observe all that God teaches them so that there's a credible witness in the community so that they go and tell and they bring people into a living example of what Christ is doing and they meet the Savior. It's like a cyclical thing. It's not, it's not one or the other. The more I know Jesus, that's to overflow to those who don't know him. That's why unity in community is mission critical. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says, unity is an evangelistic necessity. See, here's our tendency. Our tendency, we've talked about this in this community series. Here's my tendency, our tendency, is to think that my personal growth in Jesus Christ is a personal endeavor only. And so I don't really need community. It's just me and Jesus. And that's, that's pandemic in our culture, in our evangelical culture in Dallas is that it's just me and Jesus. And I'll be with the community until something happens I don't like, then I'm out of here. I'll go find me another one. Or until I find something more that I like better down the road. I'm just going to move around place to place and never put down roots and never identify with the community for the long haul. Where, Ephesians 4, I will be required to exercise patience and people will be required to exercise that with me. Okay, so we tend to think that our personal growth is simply a matter of me and Jesus instead of community. We do the same thing with witness. We tend to think that it's just my personal evangelism is all that matters. Of course, evangelism is personal. Of course, personal growth is personal. And so is evangelism. I mean, we think we could look at passages. We could look at Acts 8. The, uh, Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's one-on-one evangelism. In this book, John chapter 4, Jesus, one-on-one with the woman at the well evangelizing her. We can find passages in the Bible that are one-on-one evangelism. And may I grow, may we grow in one-on-one testimony. But John 17 is not about one-on-one testimony because you can't fulfill this alone. You can't do John 17 by yourself. You can't reflect to the world that the Father sent the Son If you're not in community loving other people, in union with other people, he doesn't say the world will know if you love yourself. The world is filled with people that love themselves. They don't need more examples of people loving themselves. That's everywhere. What they need is an example of people who love others that are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and are walking out community in various ways with other people. Christians. So I'm not saying it's just community. It's absolutely personal testimony, personal evangelism with your uh, co-workers or your neighbors or your family members, whatever it is. But this passage also highlights the need for a community testimony to reach others. So how does that translate practically? Well, here's a couple of ideas. Let me toss out a few things. I'm going to toss these out and I hope the church 
can just pick these things up and run with them. And this is a continuing conversation we'd like to have. But let me share a few. One is to tell of your experience in community. To tell of your experience in community. Are you saying to witness about our community and not about Jesus? Well, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying a window into your community is a window into the reason for your community. Or it can be at least. So at various times, when I've experienced something difficult or I've been asked by an unbeliever how it's going or something like that. At different times, I've expressed something about the community of the church. Maybe I'm walking through something difficult and I can remember at different times saying something like to an unbeliever. Yeah, it is a difficult thing. But uh, I'm so thankful that I have a church community around me. I'm so thankful that I have brothers and sisters that are helping me and caring for me and walking with me in this. I mean, that's, that's what our church is about. It's about people helping one another because of what Christ has done for us. I mean, that's a testimony about community. The problem with me, if I were to share that with somebody, the quick assumption could be, well, yeah, I'm sure that you're just a pastor, and so the people in the church probably like their pastor. Well, you haven't been to many churches. Maybe they don't like their pastor, but you guys do like us, and we're grateful. So, but that could be the default. I'm assuming that, yeah, you have a much more powerful testimony that way than I would, that people in the community. And, and when someone asks about our church, you know, you invite people. You give them a card. We have those invitation cards. Just invite people to church, and they ask, what kind of church is it? Very quickly, in some point in that conversation, I hope we're talking about community. It's not, well, they're, they're just the church that has that building over there on John Elliott, or they're the, just the church that, they're the church of people who've been changed by Christ that are living life together in a meaningful way. They're an imperfect group of people. We are an imperfect group of people that are living life together or seeking to live life together in a supportive family, to be a supportive family to one another. Um, and, and we're doing that because Jesus Christ has changed our lives. And so that, that community gives an opportunity to point to the Savior. But better than telling about community is to show your experience in community. If there's show and tell, I think show beats tell in this, in this uh, message. Show people your community. In other words, give people a window in. Think of someone that you're relating to that does not know Christ and look for an opportunity to invite them to be with your community, specifically your community group or more broadly, some other Christian friends you have here in the community or whatever it is that you draw people into community and you let them observe community. That is a goal. See, we tend to think of mere personal witness, but this is community witness that we can show others what Christ has done. See, we get very accustomed to the way people relate if you've been a christian for a long time and you've been in the church a long time you can grow very accustomed to a familiar way of relating that's very foreign to people that don't know jesus christ now there are people that don't know jesus christ that do have loving relationships i'm not here to falsely characterize unbelievers and say they're all isolated none of them have any friends i'm not saying that i know by common grace there are unbelievers that have some meaningful friendships to be sure but generally speaking, many unbelievers are not a part and have never seen a community where the orientation of people's hearts because of the gospel is others. They're not used to being in a conversation where a group of people are talking and individuals are drawing one another out, taking an interest in another. What they're used to is everybody blabs about themselves and the next person blabs about themselves and the next person blabs about themselves. But hopefully in the church community... 
as believers, we have an other's orientation. So to be around where people are taking an interest in them, that, that is a foreign thing. To be around an environment where people show respect and deference to one another, that's a foreign thing. To be in an environment where people are serving and putting the needs of one another above themselves, that's a foreign thing. To, to, be, in a, to be exposed to people who, as a lifestyle, are seeking to help one another, show an interest in one another, bear one another's burdens. Most people have never seen that outside of their family, maybe. And so that is a powerful witness and testimony that can point and should point to Jesus Christ. So how do we do that in community? Well, here, somebody is, if you invite an unbeliever to your house for something, someone who doesn't know the Lord, you're inviting them in, invite some people that are Christians as well in with you. Invite some people from your community. Invite some people from your community group. I've been at gatherings in our church, birthday parties, where the majority of the people in the room were uh, Christians. The majority of the people were probably from the community group and other relationships in the church. But neighbors or unbelievers, they're, they're thrown in at the birthday party too. And so there's this living example. How do you guys know each other? And, and there's this life, this intangible, that those that God is drawing, they will see that. And he'll make connections, especially if we explain and look for an opportunity to explain those connections. You know, this is the time of year where a lot of us have unbelieving family in town. Some of you today may be non-Christian. You're not Christians, but you're here with someone who is. For sure, that'll be the case next Sunday. Uh, There'll be some family members that are in for the holidays. You know, I think a powerful thing is to expose them to your relationships in the church and to friends you have in your community group or friends in the church to expose them to how you relate, to invite several of them over so your lost family members are there, people from the church are there. I've heard this over and over. The example is they would come away saying, wow, your friends are so nice. They're nicer than you are. Why are your friends, <laughs> right? Well, they're just more mature Christians than, than I am. That might be the reason. So I've been trying to tell you about Christianity and they're maybe further along than I am or whatever. But they're not, they're nice to be sure. But the reason they're nice is God's changed their life and he's changed our lives together. So that's a great witness. It's not just you. And sometimes with your family, you feel like a terrible witness. It's not just you. There's community there. So that's an example. Inviting someone over. In your community group, when there's a social function in particular, unless the leader says this is like an in-house deal where we need to do some, some kind of family business or something, but if it's, unless it's some unusual situation, if it's a social function, it's a hangout, it's a cookout, an unbeliever, that's a great place for them to come in and to observe, to be exposed, to see the life of community together. To your community group meeting. You can invite an unbeliever to that meeting. We have many doors into the church. This is the primary front door. It's probably Sunday morning. Um, But I think relational community, uh, whether it's spontaneous in a home, whether it's organized, whether it's an official care group, that is a great way to expose people. G2, which is the youth and parent meeting. Reach. Reach is specifically designed for that. That folks would come in and observe and experience the people of God together. So invite someone in as well invite them to sunday morning but if you invite them here in sunday morning uh let's let's try to be caring about that and introduce people to other people as well so introduce your friends around if you're here as a guest and the person who brought you does all this afterwards i'm sure they wanted to do it anyway i'm not they're not just doing it because i said it so that could be awkward um 
<laughs> I really mean this, but yeah, didn't he just say you're supposed to do that? Yeah, but I mean it. Uh, it's sincere. Uh, but here would be one. It would be to get with them afterwards. Go to lunch together. Have them in your house for lunch. Go out, go out together. You know, I really commend our singles. I think our singles in this church do a very good job. Um, they're together in various contexts. And if you're new and if you visit, it's not going to be surprising if you get an invitation to go hang out with the singles, uh, single adults in our church, maybe after church, uh, for lunch or some other gathering. They're, they're very good. I think very good at this. Um, and those of us who aren't single could learn from the singles in our church. So I think do a good job of reaching out, inviting, and thank you for your example to all of us in the life of the church. But if you bring a new person, whether single or married or whatever it is, you can think of a way afterwards to join them in. Just these kinds of ideas, however they can get exposed to community. That's the idea. There's a thousand ways to do it. I'm just mentioning a few off the top of my head. I, we recently baptized someone, and their testimony here on Sunday morning was when they first started hearing the gospel, they were kind of arguing with some of the ideas, but what kept them in the conversation about the gospel was they observed the life of the people who were reaching out to them, and they had no refutation of that. They couldn't just explain that away. They couldn't just dismiss that. So they didn't become a Christian merely because of that. They became a Christian because Jesus died on a cross for their sins. But they, that's what kept them in the conversation, asking and drawing. That was a testimony that was shared here. So we want, may there be hundreds of testimonies like that. I didn't at first believe, but I couldn't explain the love, the unity, the care, the life. I couldn't explain that. And I just kept coming back. May that be the case. I believe that's God's plan. We all want to grow. I want to grow in these areas. I trust we all want to grow in these areas together. What I'm really talking about today is not like creating this whole other lifestyle where you add 15 things to what you're doing. Now, perhaps we need to add more intentional relationship with unbelievers to our lifestyle so that we could have someone to invite into community. We may need to do that. But most of what I'm talking here is just doing what we're doing already and just inviting others to get a taste of it, drawing others to come in and observe what's already happening. I'm not talking about restructure your whole life. I'm just talking about investing our lives in community and seeking to draw others in to observe who may not know the Lord. There is a power when God's people come together, when the Holy Spirit is building people together. So, so how do I respond to this? Well, if you're not in some kind of community, if you're not in a community group, I would just encourage you to do so. And a primary reason is right here, that to some degree you are gutting your witness without it. You lose this powerful form of witness. So you have personal witness. If you believe in Jesus, I once was blind, but now I see. That's a testimony. That's powerful. I don't minimize that. I cultivate that. That's great. But there's this whole other thing, this John 17 that he's talking about here, that can't just be, I was once blind, but now see. But we were once blind, and now we see, and now we're together. And there's power of witness in together. So if you're not involved, it's not the end of the world. Just make a goal to get involved somehow and build community with other believers secondly if you are involved don't let community be a secret i mean i'm sometimes in meetings this is my own to my own shame i'm sometimes in various things that are happening i think oh this would be a great time i wish you know 
Some unbeliever could experience this or see that, but maybe I didn't invite them into it. So we, we want to be keeping what is a secret and, and bringing it out in the open. When you think about outreach, think about together. For sure, think about reaching out personally to your coworker, your neighbor, your family, but also think about together. Friday afternoon, someone showed up in my office, a couple from this church, and they were uh, very excited because they had just purchased and found out about these, these, this tool to reach out to people at Christmas time. And it was sort of this bag that was decorated for Christmas, and it had an ESV New Testament in it that you could give to someone that would give them a Bible. Maybe they've never read the Bible. It had a little booklet explaining the meaning of Christmas. It was a witness to Jesus. It had a little invitation to invite them to church. So it was this kind of ready, prepackaged deal that was nice that you could give to someone and invite them to come and see and to come and hear the message of the gospel. I was very excited that they took that initiative, that they spent a lot of money to purchase this. But here's where I was really excited about, was when they said, what we want to do is invite others from our community group to do this with us. See, they were thinking together, how could we reach out? Now, some of that reaching out may have been to people they didn't know, but even there, we do that together. So whether it's people we do know or don't know, they were excited about as a community seeking to reach out. People observe us serving together. People observe us reaching out together. People observe us caring together. People observe us relating in the midst of that. And there is a testimony. There is an aroma that you may not smell because you are familiar with it that the unbeliever detects there's something different here. And that opens the door to explain, here's what's different. It's him. It's Jesus. It's not us. It's Jesus. Community doesn't terminate on us. Community is rather to spill out to the community around us so that they can see they're one. They love each other. John 13, John 17. The conclusion that will be drawn once the gospel is shared with them is that they do so because they know Jesus Christ. Our unity is not an optional extra. It is a testimony that God wants to use for gospel expansion. We want to cultivate community. We want to pray. We want to reach out. We want to live in such a way that we're expecting that others will meet the same Savior we've met and that they'll come in and they will know of him by the changed lives and the changed lifestyle, imperfect as we are, living together. The Father sent the Son, Jesus prays, to reach people with the gospel, to build those people together so that outsiders could look into that unity and look into that love and they could realize that the Father sent the Son to reach people. That's the goal. Community together spilling out so that we are glorifying God with our lives together, so that we are building one another up as Christians. We emphasize that a lot. Those are very important, but also so that this community life spills out to those who don't know Jesus. That is Jesus' concern at the end of his life. That's his prayer. That's his burden. May it be ours as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today for this prayer. 
that you looked down the future and you saw us and that you gave your life for us and that you drew us to yourself and that you drew us to your people. We're so grateful to be a part of your community. We're so grateful that there was a community that preached the gospel to us that we could be involved in. And Lord, we just want to see that replicated. God, we pray that you would grow us up together as we've talked about, but that you wouldn't just grow us up together for us, but you'd grow us up together while at the same time we could reach out to those who don't know you, that could come and grow up together with us. Lord, this is a big request, but we just pray that you would open doors, that you would give us your heart, that you would cultivate relationships, that you would make us sensitive and aware to those who are currently under your judgment, that you would break our hearts with what breaks yours, and that we would embrace your plan and your model for reaching them. We would embrace your message, that we would live in light of your message, and that we together, individually and together, could reach out, God. I pray that you would do that in an increasing way in our midst for your glory. We ask these things. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.